Now, some of you don't know this about me, but uh, my wife and I, we were born and raised in Louisiana, right? And so we got to Texas as soon as we could. So we're, we're Texacajuns at this point. But growing up, my uncle taught me a little trick that was so fun. You know, during the season, like we're in now in spring, you've got all the flowers blooming and the bees are all over the place where we're from especially. And they were always aggravating and you had to watch out that they didn't sting you and so forth and so on. Well, my uncle taught me a trick. He taught me how to knock bees out. And uh, you can take a rubber band, you can shoot them and kind of knock them out. Or you can take a fly swatter and don't hit them too hard, but hit them just enough to kind of knock them out. And then while they're kind of in that dizzy, half-knocked-out state, you can grab them by the back of their torso or the back of their head. And we used to take our belt, and you know, on the inside of your belt, it's real soft leather. And, uh, and we would take our belt, and then we would rub their backside where their stinger was against the soft part of that leather, and it would literally pull the stinger out of their backside. And then when they would, and we would do that with 20 or 30 of them and, and kind of get ourselves in a little room. And when they would all come to, they would be mad as hornets. But guess what happened? We then took the stinger out of them. So they start hitting you, you're like, whatever, hit me again. It don't hurt. And I want to bring that point to you today because it's Resurrection Sunday. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is our key scripture today. And verse 54 says, come on, you ought to get excited about this one. It says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your stink? And I hear you say, yeah. Can I tell you something? Jesus took, and let, let, let me just back up for a second. Jesus didn't just heal the sick. He didn't just defy gravity. He didn't just open the blind eyes or make food multiply. Friend, he went after the big dog of all the difficulties to humanity. And he went after death and the grave. And he didn't shrink back from it. He went face to face with it. And can I tell you what that scripture means? That he conquered it and he took the sting out of its backside. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, death has no sting. It's been swallowed up in victory. Somebody will shout amen. Come on, somebody will say yeah. And so as we jump kind of into the word today, I want to kind of help you see some things. This is uh, what some people would have called Passion Week. It's kind of the verbiage or the title that they use for this week leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to talk, walk you through in Scripture what the last week of Jesus' existence kind of in the, on the planet, the way he did it before his death and resurrection transpired, what it kind of looked like. So if you will, take a little walk with me. We'll start with the first day, which is called Palm Sunday. So today we're celebrating his resurrection. Seven days earlier, let's back up in the, on the timeline, would have been Palm Sunday. And we, we call it Palm Sunday because Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and the prophecies about the Messiah of which Jesus was and he was proving in the state of these uh, events as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem before he got into the city he sent his disciples and he said go look and there's going to be you're going to find he prophetically told him you're going to find a donkey with her colt tied up beside it go get it and bring it to me and I'm going to ride in on it why because there was a prophecy that the Messiah would come into the city of Jerusalem in victory riding a colt and a donkey and so as a result, they go, they find the donkey, just like Jesus said. The people that owned it said, what are you doing taking a donkey? And they said, the master have need of it. They said, oh, okay, God bless you. I hope it works out. And they bring it to him, and he gets on it, and they begin to walk into the city on this donkey. Normally, a ruler would come in on a white stallion or some giant, magnificent animal. But the proof of who, that Jesus was the Messiah in the prophecy was that he would come with lowly and servanthood of attitude. And so he comes into the city, and as the people see him coming, they've been in his crusades, they've been in his ministry moments. He's been in their homes and living rooms and laid hands on him and opened their blind eyes. When they see him coming, they begin to go crazy and they begin to take off their jackets and line the, the street with them. They begin to cut 
palm branches and lined the street, the pathway so that the donkey and the king of kings and the lord of lords was walking on the palm branches and on their outer gar- garments. And as he came into the city, they began to shout, Hallelujah, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Here comes the Messiah. And they would go before him. Now, being from Louisiana, I've been to Mardi Gras many times before I was a Christian. And as you would go, as you've ever seen them on TV, they come through the streets with those bands. And, they come, and everybody comes running to see him march through the city because of the noise that they're making. And the same procession is happening here, except they're not doing all the little get jiggy stuff. And they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then, of course, once they get settled in Jerusalem, that evening Jesus goes back with his disciples to Bethany. And that was day one of the Passion Week, or Sunday, Palm Sunday. The next day is Monday, and they, Bethany was about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And probably they would go on back and forth because they were probably staying with Mary and Martha and uh, the resurrected Lazarus at that, their house because it was comfortable and familiar to them. And so then they come back Monday morning and they come back to the temple. So Monday of Passion Week, what happens is Jesus comes into the temple. He once again can't take it anymore because the temple has become a den of thieves. What it is is church at this point has become more about the money. Watch out. Has been more about what the, what the, what the leadership can get from the people. Watch yourself. Speaking about the, the 2,000 years ago sounds kind of similar to today. And so as they come, as he come walking in, they've got all the money changers. And for you guys that under, uh, maybe you've never been taught about that, what would happen was the, 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 the Jewish people would come from all their different regions, and they would come to worship and have Passover in Jerusalem. It, they would make kind of their, their journey, their Magigoria journey kind of thing to, to Jerusalem. And what would happen was the big temple would have been set up with all the different changing of money so that you brought your pesos or your euros, and they would change out your money to be able to buy things there in Jerusalem and specifically to buy things there in the temple. Well, what they were doing were gouging the prices. They were, they were giving you half of what, you, what your money was worth as you exchanged it. And then they were taking advantage of the people. Not only that, but they came to make sacrifices. And so they would sell them a dove. Instead of bringing the dove or the, the little lamb with you through that whole you know, three-day journey, you didn't have to keep up with that. You could buy it when you were there. Kind of like when you go to the Cowboy Stadium and you buy an $18 hamburger. You're like, what the what? This is from Sam's Wholesale Club. I recognize that, Patty. It's kind of that kind of situation. So Jesus walks in again, and this is his second time to do it, and his final time. He says, no, sir. No, sir. My father's house will be a house of prayer, and you've made it into a den of thieves. And he begins to turn over the tables. Why? Because good people who want God are finding nothing but inappropriate behavior through the leadership. Come on, somebody. And he starts throwing it over and kicking it all out and run and cleaning out the temple. He does that on Monday, just days before he's to be murdered. On Tuesday, the next day, what happens is Jesus comes back, again stays in, in, in uh, Bethany, comes back to Jerusalem. And this time there's a gathering of people and he takes them out on the Mount of Olives. And there he teaches and ministers one of his last big messages. And he ministers to them about the end of the world and kind of what is prophetic end times. He's, he's saying what's going to happen in the future. And he talks about Jerusalem being destroyed. Excuse me, the temple being destroyed. And he talks about the difficulties that are going to happen. And he does that there on the Mount of Olives. And then Tuesday comes to a close and Wednesday comes. And we call that Silent Wednesday. Because nowhere in Scripture does it give us any point of reference of what they may have done on Wednesday. Some scholars believe that what transpires, they just kind of rested. 
had an off day because they were prepping for the Passover is going to be the next day. And so the next day on Thursday was the giant last supper, supper meal. That whole picture that, you know, that, that you're familiar with, the painting of them all sitting around the table looking all weird, you know, with the little cups and all that kind of stuff. And so you've got the Passover that transpires or the last supper. And what, there's multiple things that are happening during this process of the last supper on Thursday. There, uh, first and foremost, uh, Judas has gotten fed up and decides he don't want to be on the team anymore. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So he begins to make plans with the, with the leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees as well, to come and, and literally trade out Jesus. Because what they needed was a false witness who was close to him to be able to say, yes, he's done this, this, and this, and be a false witness. And so they got Judas to agree to it because he was in his inner circle for how many pieces of silver? That's right, 20 pieces of silver. And so, uh, and so Judas goes, and he's been making these plans. He's been texting back and forth while he's sitting at the table. Yeah, I'm here with him now. Yeah, okay, we'll see how it goes. I'll probably come after, after we finish eating. And as they're sitting at the table, Jesus begins to do something that has never been done. On every Jewish table during the Passover is a cup that's turned upside down. It symbolically represents that no one's ever going to drink out of that cup until the Messiah comes. And the Messiah alone will be able to turn over the cup and drink after, out of it. And Jesus turns the cup over, pours in the juice, and begins to pass it. And that's where we get our, where we take communion. And he says, listen, this, this is done for you. Let this represent the blood that I'm going to share for you. This bread represents my body that's going to be wounded for you and bruised for you. And he begins to pass it around the table. And he says, yet one of you will, will uh, betray me. And they all start, is it me? Is it me? Lord, could it not be me? Comes around to Judas. Judas goes, is it me? And he goes, yeah, you know it's you, you sucker. You've been the one planning this the whole time. And the Bible says that he gets up and he leaves the house. And Jesus basically tells him, go do what you got to do. Go ahead and do what you got to do. Why? Because Jesus is not scared of death. Because he's come to defeat death and the grave. Are you with me? Say yes. See, here's the thing I got to help you understand. Our God is a miracle God. If you don't believe that, then how can you have any faith for anything that happens in mine in your life? Let me explain something to you. I'm sitting in the middle of a miracle right now. The fact that this woman said yes to marry me is a miracle. The fact that I got good-looking kids in spite of me is a miracle. The fact that you sit here and listen to me, it's a miracle. God is doing miracles all in my life. Can I tell you something? If you don't believe that he's a miracle worker, then what are you going to do when you face the difficulties of life? And so my goal today is to bring you back to the greatest miracle in the history of humanity. And it's not that he died on the cross, it's that he rose from the dead. And as we've already told you, Muhammad can't say that. Nobody else can say that. You can play, take all these other false religions and say, this is the right way, this is the right way. But friend, can I tell you, there's only been one who's the founder of Christianity who not only died, but he resurrected. And for 40 days, he appeared to men and women, showed them the scars, showed them the places. And friend, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you and me. Come on, you can do it. He can make it. Daddy, help him out. Send a little bit more angels down there. Spirit of the Lord, help him out. He need, Adam McCain's in trouble. He done done it again. He's praying, making, intercession, and preparing a place for us. That's the Jesus we serve. And so on this Thursday evening, they finish up their meal. Judas goes to do what Judas is going to do, and Jesus takes the eleven. And, he, and they all tell him, Jesus, we'll never deny you. We'll never. And Peter gets real big mouthed about it. He, he, I mean, I, I picture Peter sometimes as I'm going to stop there. Anyway, and so <clears throat> I almost said something I shouldn't have said. Um, and I, I picture that, that Peter's just running his mouth. I'm never going to. I'm never. And Jesus, listen, before the rooster crows three times, before the rooster crows, excuse me, you will have denied me three times. I will never. I will never. 
So they go in the garden to pray. And he tells them, listen, I need you to watch and pray. I know it's getting late. I know you have a big meal. It's, I kind of get that picture, kind of like Thanksgiving. You know what? After Thanksgiving, you eat that big old meal. And, 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 and you know, Jesus tells them, after they finish the meal, I need you to come pray with me. Watch and pray. And you know how that is for you on Thanksgiving. H and everyone, eat that big meal. And then you go in the living room to watch and to pray that the Cowboys might actually win. Right? And so, and so but you know what happens. About somewhere about halftime. You know what happens? That big meal is sitting on that stomach, and you start, come on, you start. I, I'm convinced that some of you guys got a button on your butt. Every time you sit down, it turns you off. I mean, it just knocks you out. And so what happens is they're all passed out, and they're sleeping, and Jesus is in intense prayer and intercession. Because why? Because he knows what he's going to face, death. Friend, can I tell you something? When you're dead, you are dead. Doctors can't stop death. Doctors can't bring you back from the dead. Let me tell you something else. Therapists can't, can't help you with death. Uh, uh, that money that you got saved in the bank isn't going to help you with death. That career that path that you're on, that upward mobility movement that you have, it's not going to stop death. It's not going to keep death from destroying your life. Friend, can I tell you something? When your time is coming, your time has come. Unless you have made Jesus the Lord of your life. Because he has conquered sin, death, and the grave. And can I tell you something? Death has no power over us. Where, oh death, is your sting? Where is your victory? You've been swallowed Hit me all you want. You've been swallowed up in victory. For I know when I die, I'll spend eternity in his arms. Are you with me? Say yes. And Jesus, as he's there in the garden, in intensity, sweat drops of blood are dropping. And in that moment, here comes Judas with all the guards, with all of, all, all of, all the, of the Pharisee leader, Pharisaical leaders and stuff. And they come marching through the garden with their torches. I, I kind of picture it's kind of like, you know, get the beast, get the beast, you know, with their swords and that whole scene. And they come in. And Jesus. Jesus does not go hide behind a tree. Here they come, oh Lord, help me. Nah, he's a man's man. He walks out. Who y'all looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. And he makes this statement. He says, I am he. Anybody know what I am is? That's the name of God. And when he says, I am he, the Bible records that they all fell down. Come on, you charismatic Pentecostals. They all got slain in the spirit right there. It's in scripture. They all fell down. They fell down. Jesus probably had to pick him. Hey, guys, yo, come on. You got to go crucify me. Get up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We got an appointment with death. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Get yourself up. And then in that moment, you know, all the disciples are scared. They're wigged out. They don't know what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, you know, they, the other guys pull their swords, and Peter loses it. And he pulls out his little steak knife, and he goes to kill the, 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 the servant of the, of the guy. And he goes to kill him. And as he goes, I think he's trying to cut his throat. And as he does like that, he dips, and he cuts that ear off. And Jesus like, stop. Picks up that ear, and the guy's like, ah! He picks up that ear, puts it back on, <laughs> heals it right there, and he goes, now let's go. Because Jesus said it like this, you don't take my life, I give it freely. And he goes with them. In that moment, all of the disciples abandon him. They take off running. In fact, they're scared to death because at this point, I picture they're probably chasing them, trying to figure out who's with them. But they all escape, and they take off. In fact, John... The, the, the youngest, he's running through the woods, and all, they grab a hold to him, and he just runs right out of his clothes and keeps on running through it in his underwear down through the woods. Can you imagine that guy? I mean, he's just taking off. Peter kind of stays at a distance and kind of sneaks up behind him and kind of gets in with them. They don't realize he's kind of with them. And, uh, and then they take Jesus to Caiaphas' house, who is the head of the Sanhedrin. He's the high priest, if you will. And they begin to plot what, how they're going to kill him the next day. 
Jesus is tied up, he's bound up, whatever he is, with the guards watching him, he's out in the outer court and the patio area, if you will, while the big dogs are on the inside making plans on how they're going to get this thing done and get him killed. And so that is Friday, if you will, excuse me, that is Thursday, if you will, into Friday morning early. The disciples have now abandoned him. And then all of a sudden, Peter begins to say, no, I wasn't with him, no, I wasn't with him. And when he does it the third time, the rooster crows. That's actually not a rooster crowing. What that actually is a reference to, in, in Bible times, whenever they would have morning, early morning prayer at sunrise, they would blow a trumpet, and it was called the rooster crow. And so all of a sudden, and he hears it off in the distance, it's time for prayer at the temple. Wait a minute. Oh, it's just what he said. I did it. His own disciples abandoning. His best friend now abandons him. And then from there, they take him to Pilate through a series of different, different play, movements. But he ends up with Pilate. Pilate washes his hand of Jesus. And he says, I don't find him guilty, but y'all want him dead? You want him crucified? The same people that were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, are now yelling, crucify, crucify. Can I tell you something? There are moments in all of our lives where the best, best of intentions get turned on us. People who said they were with us will turn on you. I'll just tell you something. Jesus felt the abandonment of the people. Felt the abandonment of his closest friends. Felt the abandonment of his best friend. And then they take him. And they take that cat of nine tails and they beat him. They shred his back, ripping the flesh off of him. Do you know that most men died somewhere halfway into this kind of beating? This concept that Jesus is some anorexic little effeminate guy on a cross all shriveled up is, a, is about the biggest lie you could ever see. He was a man's man. You don't take a beating like that and live. And you surely don't take a beating like that and then carry that cross halfway up that hill. Can I tell you something? He was a man's man. And he took that thing. I don't know about y'all, but about 10 slashes into that, when that thing hooked into my flesh and they ripped it off, I'd have been like, nah, I'm done. Zzz, I'd have fried all of you. Just zzz. We starting over, Dad. We don't need these jokers. I'll make some new ones. I'd have fried them all right there. But Jesus was on a mission. Where, oh, death is your sting. You've been swallowed up in victory. He was on a mission to destroy death. Because, friend, it's one thing to open blind eyes. It's another thing to, to conquer death. The greatest, the greatest victory of all victories. And they took Jesus and they put that cross beam up and made him walk up that hill to Golgotha. He made it a little ways up or halfway up, some would say. And then they got Simon to help him carry the rest of the way. And then they took my Jesus. They didn't tie him up there. They nailed him up to that cross. Naked in front of everyone. Shameful and humiliated. Already to the point of almost death, most of us wouldn't even have made it up the hill without dying. Sits there on that cross, hanging there, excuse me, on that cross. In a moment of darkness, he yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me too? Friend, can I tell you something? We're all going to have those moments in our life where we feel like even God has left us behind. But I want you to know something. God may have turned his back on him in that moment. Why? Because he didn't want to see the pain of it all. But he knew that there was a moment coming just hours later when he was going to raise that, that son of his from the dead. Can I tell you something? Darkness is just an opportunity for the supernatural power of God to raise you from that. I want you to know God is for you and not against you. And so in this moment, Jesus is hanging on this cross and he's about to give up his last breath. And I want to take you to Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 through 54. Read it with me if you don't mind. Matthew 27. Verse 50 through 54. If you forgot your Bibles, that's okay. We're going to put it on the screen for you. And it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice. Have you ever been beside someone who's dying? They don't cry out in loud voices. 
There's no strength left. And with a loud voice, that's the proof of what kind of man he was. And a loud voice. And he gave up the spirit, verse 50 says. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Can I explain to you what that means? See, God would not allow his presence to get close to men because we're sinful. And his presence would kill us because of the sinfulness of our nature. <clears throat> and as a result, what he did was he quarantined his presence to this little tent, to an inner court, if you were this inner room in this tent. And it had this, it had this, uh, this veil or this curtain. And this curtain was very, very thick. I think it was something like 18 inches thick, well, layer after layer after layer and the fact that it could be torn is just about impossible in fact i did some research on it years ago and even if you took the the biggest greatest cranes and you took them at the bottom and started trying to tear it you probably just about couldn't accomplish it and they did this whole test on it and and the fact that it was layer after layer like if you took a bunch of paper towels and you lined them and lined them and lined them and then tried to tear them you couldn't do it it's it's more difficult because of all the layers you see the same thing with like a phone book or something like that trying to tear it but you could tear the individuals easy and this curtain made just one giant big 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 barrier between God and the people and once or twice a year the the high priest was allowed to go into this into the presence of God and they hoped that he didn't die and hopefully that he had done all the the ramifications properly of being cleansed and if he didn't die then he did a little bit of order of business in there before the Lord and for the people's sin and God was saying in this moment as Jesus gave up his last breath he said I will not have anything between me and my sons and daughters I'll not have any barrier any longer that keeps people from knowing the God who created them and he rips it in half and he says I'm here if you want me you can come to me now through the blood of Jesus so what he did now has made a way that you and I can have a relationship with the living God and when this happens you're not going to believe what else it says I guarantee you hadn't heard much of this it says it says and it was torn from top to bottom the earth shook and the rocks split we're not talking about little skippy rocks across the lake we're talking about boulders beginning. It says the earth shook. California don't know nothing about this kind of shaking right there. It says the earth shook and the rock split in verse 52. This is going to mess your mind up. Then the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Did you hear that? That's the original uh, zombie apocalypse right there. Look at that. Holy people who had died, all of a sudden, when Jesus gives up his, his breath, when he gives up his spirit, the Bible says, he dies. The earth begins to shake. The veil is rent. Rocks begin to crack open. I mean, boulders are just, and all of a sudden, graves crack open, and people come walking out. No, no, they had the right mind, I'm guaranteeing. And you know what they did? They went and found that dude that killed him. Remember me? Mm-hmm. Stabity stab. I got you, stabity stab. No, I'm just kidding. They had this, this. I mean, all of a sudden, these dead people are showing up. Hey, Dad. He's like, oh. I mean, when Jesus died, the power that generated from the Messiah raised other people from the dead in one moment. Friend, I want you to know, we're talking about the miraculous power of the living God. And the word says it like this. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us. 
Jesus said, greater works than you see me doing, you can do. I want you to understand. We're not celebrating a little fee with Jesus who died on the cross. And I, I hope it's okay. And you can just be a better Christian if you go to church more. We're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords facing the greatest enemy to humanity. That is death. And taking him and taking him across his belt and ripping his stinger out and saying, now try. Try it now, buddy. You have been swallowed up in victory. And that same victory extends to you and I as his sons and daughters. This is what I'm trying to teach you today, that you have access to the miraculous power of the miraculous Son of God named Jesus Christ. And He is mine and I am His. Friend, I want you to understand something today. Please, please, please. It may be a dark time for you. It may be a tough time for you. Jesus dies in this moment on that, on that Friday. And they take his body off of, that, off of that cross. And they go and they put it in a tomb. Now their tombs were just, uh, you know, sides of mountains kind of hewn out, you know. And they put them inside of this thing. And then many times they cover it over with rocks or things like that. Well, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they were so worried that the disciples of Jesus might come and steal his body. And they'd say, he raised from the dead. Our movement continues. That they went to Pilate. And they said, look, we need Roman power here. Not just Israeli power. We need Roman power. We want you to put a big stone in front of it, which took a bunch of group of men to get a big stone. Put a roll of big stone, and then we want you to seal it with your signet ring so that no one dares open it lest they incur the wrath of the Romans, of which we are under their, under their oversight, under their authority. Just above slaves is what Israel was in this time. That's why they were so frustrated about it. And so as a result, Pilate says yes, and then they say, would you post guards up? He says, absolutely. So they put Jesus' body there in that Friday evening, seal that tomb, put guards out in front. And let me tell you something. That Friday night and into that Saturday, I believe with all my heart as I understand Scripture, that Jesus went down into the pits of hell and he took captivity captive. And he took sin, death in the grave, and he began to body slam. I picture it kind of like one of those kung fu movies where he's just, is whooping everybody. And then, friend, then comes Sunday morning which is where you're at today, <clears throat> the Resurrection Sunday. And if you don't mind, instead of explaining it to you, I'd like to just read it to you out of Matthew chapter 27. Matthew, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. It says, and after the Sabbath at dawn, early in the morning, on the first day of the week, being Sunday today, as we celebrate it, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. They went to look at it. They weren't going inside of it. It was sealed up. They were going to just go put flowers out in front of it, kind of like you do, you do at your grandma's grave or something like that. He says, and they went to look at the tomb. And then, verse 2, there was a violent earthquake, not a simple earthquake, a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. How cool is that? That comes right out of Disney. I'm telling you right now. Just... <laughs> And sits on it. I mean, he sits on this giant boulder that probably took, you know, scores of men to even get in place. He sits on it. His appearance was like lightning, verse 3 says. And his clothes were white as snow. Verse 4, the guards were so afraid of him, stay with me, that they shook and became like dead men. (laughs) They shook and became like dead men, verse 5. And then the angels said to the women, come on, you better get excited here. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And verse 6 is our verse. He is not here. He has risen just as he 
said, come on somebody, do you get the ramification of this? He did just what he said he was going to do. He did just what he said. He, he did what he said he was going to do. He said he would resurrect, and he did just what he said he would do. Can I help you out a little bit here today? His word says this. He said, if you confess your sins, and if you repent of your sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all righteousness. Let me tell you something. If you do what he said, he will do what he said. Friend, can I tell you something? When he says you're the head and not the tail above and not beneath, he, you are that. He said it. It can be it can be banked on. When he says, draw unto me, all you who are heavy laden and need rest, and I'll give you rest, he will do what he said he would do. When he went and took out death, when he went out and took out the greatest power of darkness over humanity, when he body slammed it, he did what he said he was going to do. Can I tell you something? You may be in a dark time, and you may feel like God's so far away from you, and you may feel like everybody's abandoned you, and you may feel like God is so far in the distance. Friend, let me tell you something. He will do what he said he would do. If you cry out to him, he will come to you. He will care for you. He will minister to you. But friend, you can't sit around saying, oh, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. i tell you what's wrong. You haven't called out to him. When you call out to him, he will respond just like he said he would. And he says, if you draw near to me, I will draw nigh to you. I will do what I say I will do. Why? Because he has the power to accomplish whatever comes out of his mouth. That's the difference between us and Jesus. Like his dad, you gonna take me to Disney World? Disney World? Yeah, baby. Yeah, we're gonna do that. We ain't got the money to do that. I know, right? Well, let's just keep pretending like we're going to. <clears throat> let's just buy her some little dolls and stuff, and she'll get over it eventually. If Jesus said it, he actually has the power to accomplish it. And when he says that he loves you, when he says, I died for you, that you could have a relationship with the Father, he can do what he said. He can do. My goal today was that you could believe that again. Now, I know that that sounds like good preaching and stuff, and it can be a little bit ethereal, so I want to put it in a practical rim for you today. I want to give you the story. You don't have any idea who you're sitting next to. You don't have any idea how God has done miracles in their life and did what he said he was going to do in other people's lives. But today, I want to kind of pull out one of our families in our church, and we videoed them talking about how God did what he said he could do in their lives. And this is the Awad family, and I want you to pay attention to this because I think it's going to help you see that if he did it for them, he'll do it for you as well. Go ahead and play that for them. Hi, my name is Angie Watt. I'm on the worship team here at Church on the Hill. This is my husband, Shadi Watt. Uh, we've been married for 10 years, and we have four amazing children. Um, this is a story I never thought, a place in my life I never thought I would, I would be, a life I never thought I would have, and um, this is my miracle story. As a kid, I was brought up in the church. Uh, my parents were amazing at keeping us involved, and in church activities, um, we did the church potlucks, um, we did the church weddings, and um, had just a great time, great experience growing up in the church. When I was when I was 14, um, I began to party a little bit, and uh, that's when I started drinking and smoking cigarettes, and um, I began to have boyfriends and started wrapping my identity up in um, my relationships with my boyfriends. Really quickly, obviously, the drinking and the partying um, kind of uh, started smoking marijuana also, and that kind of started to take hold of my life. Uh, I started partying 
harder, and um, that never stopped, that never changed. But one night I was introduced to cocaine, and my life, everything, everything at that moment changed, everything at that moment. Um, but when I tried cocaine for the first time, it was, it, it changed something inside of me. Um, I was doing cocaine every day for um, for about nine months, still partying, still trying to figure out who Ange was, trying to, to get back to this place um, when I was a kid. Um, and one night I, I got home from late night from partying and doing the most cocaine that I have ever done in my life. And I opened the door to my apartment and looked at the inside of my, of my apartment and the party left, the, the happy, the, the, the good time left. And I looked inside that apartment and I saw that it was dark and it was empty. I flipped on the light and I just, I looked at myself in the mirror and I began to tear myself apart. I was screaming at myself and tears and makeup running down my face and, and I was yelling at the child inside of me. You said you'd never drink. You said you'd never smoke a cigarette. You said you'd never have sex before marriage. You said that you would sing for God and that you would, you would help Him impact the world. It was so funny how, how, prophetic my, how prophetic my voice was as a kid and how little Angie was, was beginning to prophesy to the older Angie. And um, I just asked, God for help. I just, I cried out for help. I said, Lord, I have done this and I have done that and I have partied and I have given myself to men and relationships that I should not have been. I've taken my life in a direction that I did not want, that I never desired. I don't know how to get back to the place when I was a kid. And in that moment, the Lord entered the room. I felt the presence of God enter the room. I felt love. I was flooded with joy and with peace. And I just, I fell into my garden tub and I just cried and cried and cried. And I spent a lot of time just sitting there and just telling the Lord of all my wrongs. I felt love, true love and forgiveness. And it just, it washed over me. It washed over me. I woke up the next morning with the most amazing joy I had ever experienced, I had ever felt in my life. And um, the, the biggest thing that I, the biggest thing that I recognized when I woke up the next morning was that I did not crave cocaine anymore. I just asked the Lord, I need relationships, Father. I, I want to be um, in relation, I want to go to church, I want to be in relationship with other people and believers. Then one morning I woke up and I was playing guitar and I was singing just worship to the Lord in the morning and um, I put my guitar down and I started hearing this voice. And um, I, I listened for a little bit and realized that this person was singing a worship song. Um, and then all of a sudden this worship song stopped and I felt the Lord drop in my spirit that this was my, my husband, this was the man that I was going to marry. And, and then uh, one day it caught me off guard. I heard this guy singing. It was a different voice and it was a different song, but I heard this guy singing. I went onto my balcony. Um, I shouted over to him and introduced myself. He invited me over. So me and this guy were sitting down and we were playing guitar 
and in walks this guy and he sat down beside me, introduced himself to me and grabbed his guitar and we just started singing to the Lord and um, just decided inside myself, I planned it all out. He was, we were gonna get married here and, and we were gonna do this and we're gonna have this many children. Um, and that guy was Shaddy, my husband. <laughs> so I had no idea, like obviously she's thinking all these things and kind of creepy, right? Like I'm gonna find this man, I'm gonna marry him. And it well, was just, didn't know all that I didn't know all that, right? So that was, that's the point. But about a month later, we started to date and a year later, I proposed to her. So here we are 12 years later. Um, I've never touched cocaine again. I was miraculously completely delivered and free of that. Um, we've been married for 10 years. We have four children, amazing children. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm doing exactly what I want to do, and that's um, uh, worship the Lord and spread His, his good news. Um, and we have a successful business that we're that we're running, and um, God is good. And that's our miracle story. If we'll give it up for the Lord. Come on, would you stand with me all across the room? Stand with me. I want to close out here, and I want to just take a moment and just I want to remind you of a couple thoughts today as we go to pray, and then I'll dismiss you. If he said it, he's going to do it. If he said he would forgive you just because you asked, he'll do it. If he said that you could have peace and joy, he can give it to you. We're not celebrating that he died. We're celebrating that he had the power to raise from the dead. We're celebrating that, that our God's not limited, wasn't overcome by death, but overcame. And it doesn't have a sting anymore. It has no sting. If you fear death, it's because you haven't met Jesus. Because when you meet Jesus, you won't fear it anymore. Because you realize that death will just be a crossing over. Today, as you stand with me, I want you to rem remember this other piece, too. And that is, if he'll do it for them, he'll do it for you. No matter how difficult you find yourself, or excuse me, how difficult the situation you find yourself in is, he can do a miracle for you. He said, oh, I can never have that beautiful family like that. Yes, you can. If he can do it for them, he can do it for you. So, oh, I can never stop this stuff that I'm addicted to. If he can do it for them, he can do it for you. Don't limit him. He has the power to transform our lives. I want you to take a moment with me and just bow your head, close your eyes. And as you stand here with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to come to Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to humiliate you. I'm not even going to call you up front. But I'll tell you something, friend. You don't need to leave this place today not knowing Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but life happened and I just kind of walked away from Him. And uh, I know that I know that if I died today, I would go to heaven. Please don't push Him away in this moment. God got you here. It's a miracle. You're standing here. Some of you had not been in a church in, in years. But God's got you here. You're hearing His voice. You're feeling tugging at your heart. Some of you may say, Pastor, I, I don't know anything about really Christianity and stuff. I just, I just know that I, I feel that something's right here. I, friend, what that is, is the Creator is reaching out to you to woo you back to Himself. And all the lies that have told you He's not real, there's no God. He's dealing with those right now. That's why you have faith in this moment. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to hype you up to get you to make a decision. 
But I'll tell you today, the Bible is very clear that we all will die and then stand before the judgment. We all have an appointment with death, the Bible says. When you and I stand there before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, what will he say to us? Will he look at us and go, so proud of you. And our response is, yeah, but I I wasn't that good. I mean, I I tried. I wasn't a very good Christian. No, 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 no. Proud of you because you said yes to me. You allowed me into your life. Or will he look at us and say, what what happened? Why why didn't you let me? Why didn't you let me into your life? Well, this and that and the other. Or, you know, that one guy was a hypocrite at work. And so I thought, you know, it ain't real. Jesus is going to say, what does that have to do with you and me? Friend, don't push Jesus away in the moment that he deals with you. When he woos you, respond to it. When he reaches out to you, respond to it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, but you want to be, I want to pray with you today. You say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but I walked away from the Lord. I want, I want to come back to the Lord. I want to pray with you as well. I'm not going to call you forward. You just need to respond to the Lord. No one's looking around. Let's make this a private moment. If this is you, I'm speaking to you. Say, Pastor, it's time. I'm ready to get right with the Lord. I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pray with you right where you stand. But you need to take the next step, and you need to admit that to yourself and to the Lord. And the way you do that here in this church is just by lifting your hand. If that's you, lift your hand. Say, Pastor, I'm away from the Lord. God, and I want to come back to it. Pray for me. I want to be right with the Lord. Quickly lift your hand. I'll pray with you. Thank you. God bless you. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you. You can put it back down. Who else? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I'm ready. It's time for a change. I'll give you just a few seconds. I'm not going to belabor the point. I see you. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Thanks for being real and sincere and authentic. Appreciate that so much. Anyone else? Been a number of hands. God bless you, sweet love. Just about two more seconds, and I'll close this portion out. Anyone? Amen. Put your hands down. Now, those of you that lifted your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. There's nothing magical about the words. What's supernatural is that God's tugging at your heart. What's supernatural is that God got you here. The words of this prayer are just simply a a period at the end of the sentence. God's already been working in your life to get you to this moment right here. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray it out loud with you, but I want you to mean it with all of your heart. So say this prayer with me like this. Say, Jesus. Come on, one more time. Jesus. There you go. I ask you now to forgive me of my sin. I acknowledge I need you. I pray now that your cleansing power would come over me. Transform me. Make me new. I declare Jesus is my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand. Lord, everyone, Lord God, who said, I need Jesus. And prayed that prayer from sincerity of the heart. Even if they didn't have the courage to get their hand up. That, Lord, as they prayed that prayer, and that you do what you said you would do. That you will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray right now the sense of peace would overtake them. That they would understand that you have led them to this moment. You have forgiven them. And now they can walk out of this place with their shoulders held back. With their head held high. And no matter what has been their sin of choice of the past, it no longer has power over them. And that peace and joy would come down into their heart. Like Angie talked about in that moment, in that moment, it just, she woke up the next day and it was different. I pray for that right now for every man and woman who prayed that prayer in all sincerity of heart. And God, I thank you that they're sealed for the day to come in Jesus' name. Now, would you do me a favor? Would you reach over and grab the hand of that person next to you? And I'm gonna just take 60 more seconds because there are men and women in this room. You needed to have faith again that God could do miracles for you. We're celebrating the greatest miracle in the history of humanity. And can I tell you something? 
If Jesus rose from the dead, he can raise your situation from the dead. If Jesus was able to conquer sin, death, and the grave, he can help you conquer sin, death, and the grave. Whatever it is that has been daunting to you, whatever dark place you feel like you find yourself in, even as a Christian, we're going to pray for one another for the next 60 seconds or so that the miracle power of God would be activated in your life and that you would have faith to hold on to the fact that Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for every man and woman in this church, every man and woman who came out today. Lord God, I pray that this message would bring light to them, revelation. You're not, you weren't, you weren't wounded for you. You weren't destroyed, excuse me. Lord God, that you overcame. Jesus, you did not, you did not get sick, you did not uh, succumb to the death and to sin. Lord God, that you overcame it. And that same victory has now been swallowed up for us to also, Lord God, have be overcomers. And so I speak miracle power in the lives of every one of these sons and daughters of the house of God. And I thank you right now in Jesus' name that they are yours all their days. And that, Lord God, though they may be in dark times, that, Lord God, light is on its way. That resurrection power is upon their life. And that those marriages will not be destroyed. That those relationships will not be destroyed. That you are resurrecting and bringing to life those old dreams from their childhood. That you're making a way where there seems to be no way. And we speak the miracle power of God over each one of these, your servants. In Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed, shouted amen and amen and amen.